Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed's weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 106 is recorded live March 8th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson, and here's some of the articles we're going to have in the news this week. We have another scuba diving workout, dive club archaeologist, time to do scuba diving conservation projects, and rare starfish species found, along with a few other articles. But before we get into that, let's welcome our co-host for this week. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing pretty good. Glad to be here again. And we also have Jim Schultz back again. How are you doing, Jim? I'm glad to be here this time. This time, <laughs> as opposed to last well, I'm time. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here every time I can. I just can't make every week. Yes. My loss. <laughs> and we appreciate everybody's in chat room. We have a great chat room going on tonight, and hopefully we get a few more in as the show goes on. Uh, if you haven't got a chance, what you need to do is go over to TalkShoe, TalkShoe.com, show number 73759. And that will get us right on in and uh, check us out. And while you're there, you might want to look up Diver Sinks podcast uh, and uh, subscribe to theirs as well. So let's go ahead and get right on into the news. The first article this week, and as we always say, we try to not cover the negative in scuba diving. But sometimes when there's something to be gained, or at least I hope to be gained, we're going to cover it. And I've already pasted that into the chat room. We have husband seeks answers in wife's Mexico scuba death. We have a tragedy over the weekend in Mexico. We had a, a woman die in a scuba diving death. Uh, there, The woman was from Calgary. She was in Mexico. The husband had been trying to call. He did not go with her. He was actually golfing, from what I understand, in Florida at the time. And he has been unable to get answers. He says, I've called three times and I've been able to get an answer on the phone. I'm not sure. We've never heard anything from the police. No Mexican authorities have called us. Even the funeral home in Mexico has not released any information to us. We actually had to call them. An emotional cross says he wasn't even to get proper information about when his wife's uh, body was to be repatriated. And he was unable to meet, meet her remains when they arrived in Calgary earlier in the week. He said Rhonda had over 200 dives to her credit, a wealth of experience in different locations, and a strong safety record. The only realistic expectation is her air supply became contaminated with carbon monoxide. Now, admittedly, they don't have information yet, but from what it looks like is that uh, some, there might have been some questionable air. Uh, later on, he says, we heard from police, we heard from the dive master who was leading the dive that even he was sick after diving along with Roxanne. So the only thing that they could be is contaminated air. Uh, the Mexican police have now launched an investigation into dive shop that provided Cross with their equipment, the family said. Cross and her cousin uh, from another diving partner had performed basic dive with took them about 18 meters underwater when the tragedy occurred. According to family, the cousin noticed something was amiss when Cross didn't surface with the group. It took about 15 minutes for a nearby fishing boat to find Cross, who was unconscious. She's pronounced dead a short time later. Uh, they found her floating face down with dive equipment on. They pulled her up and tried to do some resuscitation, but to no avail. 
Police have seized equipment from the dive shop as part of their investigation into her, her death. Uh, he said his wife was an amazing woman, beautiful inside and out. You know, I hate to speculate, but, you know, 200 dives in a shallow dive and then other people in the dive also being sick. You know, that, I mean, what, what's your thoughts? It does sound like it certainly could be bad air. Yeah, but, you know, as they pointed out farther out in the, the article, carbon monoxide is not going to be something you're going to be able to detect on your own. Is there something that travelers can do to protect themselves from situations like this? Unless it was really gross, I don't know how you're going to taste it. I mean, if you've got some hydrocarbons in there quite often, you can you can actually taste the rubber or the – it just tastes funny. But uh-huh. if you've got monoxide – that's tasteless, odorless, and all that kind of stuff. It'd be a little hard to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm getting an echo on you just a little bit, by the way. You got an echo on me? Yeah, just a, just a hair. Yeah, thought I'd mention that while we're early in the game. Of, uh, almost uh, synthesized voice for a while. For who? You. For me? How about now? Yes, yeah, it's clear now. Okay, yeah. Sometimes if that we call that going robotic. Uh, if that happens and you've got a USB headset on, just unplug and plug in. There's actually a known bug in microphone headsets that at about one hour of being plugged in, they will sometimes go into a fit. I'll be there. Yep. One thing I am surprised though was why he did not get the uh, embassy. I'd have contacted the embassy if I weren't getting the information from the from the Mexican police and stuff. Yeah. Well, from this article, I'm guessing that they've mixed up several different times because in the beginning of the article he's talking about he didn't get any answers and then later on it sounds like the police were working with him and and actually agreeing with some of his thoughts on what had happened so uh it's probably a updated article over a a period of days well it's got to leave him feeling really in the lurch not really knowing what the heck happened well yeah i mean you have you have a a wife who's uh an experienced diver i put 200 dives well in the experience category and goes down for what should be a very safe dive, you know, 18 meters. What's that put it about 45, 50 feet, 54 feet. Yeah. So that, that should be, I mean, and there's a lot of things that can happen. I mean, you can, you know, depending on your physical condition, you can have heart attacks, you can have, you know, just other natural causes happen, but, uh, you know, it, it definitely seems to be funny. So, you know, to get a full story, we'll have to wait to see what the autopsy coroner's report and other things say, but, uh, so, some, something doesn't ring right. Well, I wonder what her cousin had to say. I mean, if her cousin was on the dive, he one would have thought he would have talked to her to see, did she have some difficulty with the air? And what was her response to who else on the boat got sick, if anybody? Yeah. Uh, like I said, maybe she's follow up. Yeah, I don't think we're. this is the end of this story. I bet we have some more information come out. The reason I think this is interesting was I was doing a little research on some other topics. Uh, one of them was on solo diving. Uh-huh. That's the way we used to do. I mean, we started out that way. It went to the uh, let's break down a class into as many separate entities as I can, not necessarily to get more money, but probably something to do with it. And uh, one of the more recent articles I was reading and lawsuits was the functions and liabilities and responsibilities of a buddy diver. And this was written in, in review of how Sue Happy people appear to get. And if you go through the laws <laughs> and depend on what state you're in, you can be in one world of hurt if you have a buddy diver, meaning if you're the buddy diver. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's just, I think that's with anything. I've, I've just gotten that point in my life where I just can't 
worry about lawsuits. You know, I hope I've got enough liability coverage to cover me. And then, you know what? Bring it on. I, I just, you're going to get sued. There's just no way around it. If somebody dies or in your presence, somebody is going to figure out something to do. Yeah, they, 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 it was it, it was interesting to read some of the court cases and the judgments that came through of percentage of error responsibility. Well, the person who died was 50% in fault, but his buddy was 35%. And the guy who was on the boat that should have had a recall signal was 15%. It's like, it, it's quite interesting. At the end of it, they basically gave three aspects. One was get the insurance to cover yourself. The one that was really interesting was have a waiver written so your buddy will understand that it's not against him, but you need a waiver from your buddy that his 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 people will not sue you or him if he lives for anything that happens. Yeah, see, the thing is, I don't. Need, I can't you, you don't need it with the buddy. You need it with the family of the buddy. You almost need to say, okay, here, sign this. Take it around to your family members and have them all sign it, and then we'll talk about it. Well, yeah. they were actually saying if the buddy signs it, that has more weight than, and you wouldn't do the other part because one, you're never going to know who in the family might take exception. Well, you, you got to look yeah. at it. We we live in a world where if somebody breaks in your house, robs you blind, and then trips in a hole in your yard on the way leaving, they can sue you. Absolutely. So, you know, when I look at that, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm going to do the best for my my buddy you know, within the training and within my knowledge and within my buddy's skills. And that's about the best that we can do. I don't think we can do any more of that. So, I mean, maybe it is wise to have some sort of, you know, disclaimer contract. Uh, well, it, it was interesting reading up on solo diving since I do it a lot. A lot of people look at me a little weird for that. But uh, they were basically saying that if you look at the fatalities, uh, 60% of them are new people within the first 20 dives. The second part they identified was if you look at the majority of diving that was done deeper and the people that died, they classified the drowning as 75% because they were solo by themselves, yet they went down with a buddy, which I think skews the uh, whole thing a little bit. So but they classified them as up, solo, but they were diving with a buddy. Right. But what that means is you went down, you're both on the buddy line, you turned your head, you turned around, you couldn't find them. So you did your one or two minute search, came up, and he's floating on the surface. Well, they classify that as a solo because he came up by himself. Oh, uh, just but sounds like they need another okay. classification for that. Yeah, we can get into another discussion on solo diving sometime because I'd love to do that. But I just thought I'd toss that in. It's quite interesting. Yeah, well, and we, you know, did a buddy diver in this case make a difference? Obviously not. Yeah, well, on that subject, we need to have uh, Rich from Diver Sync on because he has recently become certified to teach. I think they call it self-reliant diving now. Yep, Patty has a new course. Patty, I think, just started out in two, uh, 2011. Uh, mm -hmm. SSI started out over 10 years ago. And initially, what you have now is your basic, your open water and advanced. What they do up to that used to be what we got as an entity back in the long time ago. Yeah. It's interesting. That's a but, course that I might take just for boat diving and some other things. Uh, which Just the, the solo diver. Yeah, that, that self-reliant diver. And again, we, we should have Rich on to talk about that. But from what I understand of the course, it's an excellent program. Because it's one of those things that even I think if you're diving with a buddy, you should really treat yourself as a self-reliant diver. A lot of the dives we do, especially in low visibility or high current or uh, challenging situations, you need to be self-reliant. 
You know, if you if yeah, you're I, if you get separated, you're you're essentially solo diving. Right. Yeah, completely that agree. In, I was gonna say the, the the major item out of that is obviously being comfortable with your own diving and diving within your limitations. But I think the extra little part is having an independent backup air supply. So if your major one goes belly up, regulator or tank, you've got that bailout. Yeah, that that is part of it. That is part of it. And even for us, when we dive usually greater than 60 feet, most of us like to have a bailout or we have a tank right near us that we can have access to, which minimizes some of that mental stress aspect. What do I do? I got me a bailout tank. Once you got air, you can do everything. You know, you yeah. got time to yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Kind, kind of my rule for a bailout is if I don't think I can reliably get to the surface and after I've ex- exhaled my breath, then you know, we, you really should have a, a bailout. Especially if you're talking, you're in a place where you not, might need to do some deco or at a minimum, a couple of oh, safety yeah. stops. You definitely yeah. have to have a bailout. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like most of the stuff we're doing for our grubbing, we're in 10 to 15 feet. Yeah, that's stand uh, up. <laughs> as long as I don't have 50 pounds of weight on my weight belt, I don't think I'm going to have problems in that aspect of getting up and staying out. No, no. And and, and that's that's one of those the few situations where ditching your weight belt is safe. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably our biggest hazard in those is going to be snags. You know, you get snagged in something. and. Yeah. Well, the next article we have up in the news is uh, scuba diving your new workout. And this one's from Madden's Fitness Magazine. And they are pitching it as satisfying fitness goals and taste for adventure with scuba diving, which I'm all for promoting scuba diving. And uh, what they're doing is they say, yes, you will get fit. According to the article, scuba diving allows one to target specific muscle groups, particularly the legs, glutes, core, and back while maneuvering through a medium that is 100 times more dense than air. And that is Director of Communications for Patty, uh, let's see, Teresa Kaplan. To move efficiently through the water, divers need to streamline their body, engage core glute muscles, kick from the hips, oppose the knee to glide through the water. Let's also not forget the out-of-water benefits of diving, lifting scuba tanks, weights, and other dive equipment will be comparable to many weightlifting exercises. So uh, do you buy that? No. <laughs> A random diver is not going to stay in shape just by diving. No. Well, the one thing you do have to be careful for is, uh, especially if you're starting to do some deeper dives, you know, if you follow your training, you're not supposed to be doing a lot of physical exertion before or after the dive. So You don't want to get the bubble started. Yeah, exactly. So you got to be careful. So as much as I want to encourage diving, I am not so convinced. Um, it's better than no- nothing. I mean, admittedly, if you're a couch potato and you're not doing anything, scuba diving is burning it off. But you also need to be in shape to be doing some scuba diving. Hey, uh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, solo diving. I, I, am a, uh, I am a couch potato. I admit <laughs> that. I'm sorry, especially over the winter. You know, uh, Mr. Spud, and that's me. But, uh, yeah, I, I I look forward to getting out and doing more diving in in the spring and summer because it does get me more in shape and I'm out more often. But yeah, um, a big thing of that is knowing your, your limits uh, and what you can and can't do. I did a winter dive in Florida a couple of years ago with my son and they had a swimming from wreck to wreck, you know, in a drift dive. And it was like, time out, guys, you're, uh, you're really pushing my limits and I'm sucking down the air like crazy. Yeah, so, oh yeah. yeah, I, I agree. The better shape you're in, uh, the safer you're going to be for yourself and your other divers. But uh, 
you know, I, I to me, a big piece of it is knowing your limitations. Yeah. Well, the other part is then listening to what your body tells you. Uh, part of that solo diving and just general diving is as we get over and the no and the, and the figure now is 50 years old, then you need to be really watching what you're doing and your depth limits. Now, you know, 50 years to me is young, but hey. I've got that perfect. I, I, I'm in complete shape, pear-shaped. <laughs> well, if you got that little belly there, you know, that's aerodynamically good if you're doing RW work. Too. Well, look look at all the underwater marine mammals, and I think I, I kind of resemble them. Which one, the whale or the walrus? Well, you got, you got yeah, sea otters, yeah. whales. <laughs> that's kind of where my mind was going, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I fit in there with you. Yeah. I got you've the got a, walrus one. I got the I got the little hairs on the face. Yeah, you got the face going. Yeah, you, you've got a little more girth than I do, but you also got a little more height than I do. Yeah. So, but uh, the uh, yeah, and then also the, all this ice diving and everybody else is getting cold. You know, and then us with the uh, the extra insulation. insulation. Yeah, the insulation. You know, that we, yeah, we have a yeah. little bit more bottom time there. So. Yeah. Also, I can tell you, it does take me a, like a whole. Eight to fourteen hours to warm up afterwards. <laughs> Once you get that core body temperature, and, and cold think of that mass. Think of that natural buoyancy that we maintain. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that extra weight we have to carry to go down. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That, that's just You've a safety weight, factor because the we weight, can fail that. You know, even with the extra uh, belt length, there are times where I've got weights all the way around that darn belt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know. I. Went on a tangent there, but it was fun. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking forward to dropping some some weight so I can drop some weight. So next one up is a short little article about a uh, guest host coming to the scuba diving club in Ohio. The Toledo Submarine Dive Club will be t- having a talk by Carrie Swanden, archaeo- archaeological director for the Great Lakes Historical Society. It'll be 7 p.m. Monday. Did I just read something that has already passed? I think I just did. <laughs> So maybe they mean the Monday after. Maybe it's a Monday after. Uh, this was published on the third, which would have been last Saturday. So yep. Yeah. So we oops. missed it. Okay. Well, on to the next one. I'll paste that in a chat room so they can all tell me. Yeah, she already spoke. But it was probably good. I bet it was. It was one that we we wished we didn't miss. Oh, this is the one that you uh, sent me an email about. Oh yeah, yeah. Dima actually set this out as a press release, and I'm actually linking to the article. All right. Did you go ahead and write into your uh, representative? I have not written in yet, but I did. I appreciate the link that you sent me an email, which was it's to a, the actual whole it's thing. A, I'm going to send you a copy of what I wrote, and if you like it, send that to your representative. Okay. Now, now, just so everybody knows what we're talking about, the scuba diving industry, uh, DEMA, uh, had some comments on the National Ocean Policy Draft Implementation Plan, which the Obama administration has just released. Well, I don't say just released. It's been out for a couple months now. And actually it's the been public, out almost a year. Yeah. But the almost public comment date for this last section, which was on February 27th, they extended the comment period until March 28th. So we still have a little bit of time to comment. What's that? I'm, I'm sorry. It, it, DEMA start, started a lot of people talking about it, mm-hmm. looking at the harm that can do to the communities, and that started some feedback to them, so they had to extend the period of time so other people could have their say-so. Yeah. 
Uh, did you actually read it? Hell yes. Yeah. See, and I That's went through it and read it too. So, I have what, it in my reference. Yeah. So what was your what was your thoughts on it? I agreed 100% with Dima that they didn't have the necessary oversight by by others. You know how they make rules by proclamation that if I have a committee, I can make the rules and no matter what anybody else says, it's done already. That's not right. Yeah. And you're talking bureaucracy up the kazoo. And I always thought we wanted to get away from more government control. This doesn't make more, make less. This makes more. And it doesn't tell me how much the state impact has on what the government wants to do. Right now, the state can do a lot. The way that seems to be written would minimize the state's comments and the state's authority. Yeah, so, I'm not a big fan of everything being pushed up to the highest level. You know, there's very few things that a, a large centralized government is going to be better at. And motivating people well, is not one of them. Well, it's like talking about the Asian carp. The government's been talking about it, talking about it. And how many years have we been talking about it for the Great Lakes? They needed to do something about two years ago. It's still in committees even now, and it's going to be more so. Right. Well, and, and then when I went through, because I went through line by line and made notes. And some of the things that concerned me is it was very good ideas. You know, they were trying to say, oh, we're going to have science that backs us up. But you, there is not the resources available to do the science that they want. And then the, whenever you start making things interdependent, the analysis and research that was going to be required is extremely huge. You know, when you when you start taking complex systems and then you start multiplying those by other complex systems and trying to draw decisions based on them, what I see happening is a paralysis. You know, basically, right. let's not allow anything and you know, everybody move away from the coast. You, you, did you post that the the article itself, not the article, well the article and the write up? Uh, I, I did the uh, the article, which was based on the press release from DEMA that was published in the Examiner. Uh, is there another one you want me to publish in the chat room? Well, uh, the actual place I could go get the document to read it. Okay, do do you have that pasted in? I'm I'm going to look through my stuff right now. I know I I have it saved for other items. Yeah, yeah. If, if you I give that, I'll, I'll give it yeah. to them in the in the okay, national. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll be. I'll shut my mouth a minute and get this ready for you. Okay, but uh, yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff in, I, I, it was the best intentions. I mean, when I went through it, I can see where somebody was coming from and how they wrote it. And if you said, "I've this is the only way it's going to happen," I don't have any confidence in anybody else. I can see why it would be done the way that they were pitching it. But I'm not convinced that's the most effective way to do it. The most, the most effective way to do it is to provide education on people. Uh, you know, as Jacques Cousteau had said, you know, people protect what they love. So you got to give them a love for the water, love for the ocean, love for the Great Lakes. Let them see it, see what's happening, and then you start coming up with some ideas. Uh, they did mention in there that they had to respect the use of it for, and that entertainment and commercial was some of the goals and objectives, that they're looking for ways that uh, green uh, aqua industry was going to be supported and actually encouraged. But, you know, I, I have doubts. You know, uh, like did, I said, I think they have know, the, What's that? I was going to say, did you notice how you had to go to the back of the reference section to get the list of the acronyms so when you started reading what it was, you could figure out who the heck they were talking about? Yeah. Well, there, there's another document that the state of Michigan, I don't even think it's just the state of Michigan, but there's the uh, uh, the Great Lakes Water Authority, which is, you know, all the states that border the Great Lakes and yeah. uh, 
uh, Canada and the provinces up there. And it's a similar document, document, not quite as crazy. And they even referenced that in this one, saying that, uh, you know, they were going to try and leverage a lot of the work that had been done. But I think in the case of the Great Lakes, they'd be much better off using that document, that work that's already there, and just trying and encourage it. But I, I don't think we need to be giving uh, teeth to the national government. You know, the, uh, the bottom lands, the federal government said they were in control of the states originally when they, when they formed the, the states. So, you know, they shouldn't be able to pull that responsibility back to the federal government. Okay, I'm going to use the file, and you can put it on yep. the other place. Yeah, I'm putting it there in the uh, talk shoot in the chat room so everybody can go ahead and take a look at it. And uh, it's worth reading a document. We need to be involved if we want to make sure that our water resources are protected and that we're able to use them for scuba diving. I wish they would use plain freaking English. They try to use the, the, the I, I call it the PhD syndrome. It was a robust this, that, and the other. Uh, well, it's, I see that in business too. And, and I got to say, I'm guilty of it at work because that's what you, you write in the language of the people you interact with. And that's what everybody sees. It's a it's a bunch of uh, you know cover your ass. There you go. <laughs> type of type of wording, and then that way when somebody goes and fight it, you know you've got this you got this giant hole that you can drive a truck through because you've couched everything in safe phrasing. Yeah. So and it's it's a political item. What's you know gosh, and we don't want to make this the the politics show, but I think <laughs> anytime you have administrations when they're getting to the end. You, know, you you never see an administration do this at the beginning of their term. You see this as, I'm going to wait till I get out, and then I quick shove this in. You know, Every administration inherits a previous administration's policies that they didn't do while they were in. You know, if you look at all the, the taxes and everything, and they, they always, that's always done afterwards. You know, any, any cuts are all, you know, go, go happen after any raises happen after, you know, nobody does anything while they're in because it's, it's easy to easier to not make the waves. Well, and they want to keep their job or they're trying to win friends and influence people. Yeah. So I, you know, I thank Dima for, for getting this out because probably if this hadn't made it, we wouldn't be talking about it. That's the other reason they got this delay because people heard about it, even though it was Taylor and Charlie, at least one item that when you're flying, for example, and the FAA makes a rule or a proposed regulation for something, Everybody who's got a vested interest in flying puts it out so their people have some clue what's going on because it's going to cost you money. Anything they do costs you money. Now, it may be for safety and great safety stuff, but you really want to look at the cost-benefit analysis for what's going to cost me as a guy who flies sport versus recreation versus commercial because generally the laws hit you all the same way. Yeah. And I sent you that other uh, heads up. Mm-hmm. I was talking about solo diving research. Yep. If you were to Google that topic plus that gal uh, or that individual, uh, you'll find that infra- interesting information on the liabilities of uh, being a buddy diver. Excellent. And on to a little bit more conservation. We have there's still time to join the scuba diving conservation project. A few places on the project and Tiumen Island in Malaysia, you'll get part of a small international group helping with research aimed at studying and protecting beautiful but fragile coral reefs. So this sounds like one of those eco, uh, called ecotourism, where you basically uh, pay to go there and then pay to donate your time. Uh huh. This particular expedition will include training as a reef check eco diver 
And after qualification, you are eligible to apply for Patty and Nowie Reef Check Specialty Course. After the expedition, the diving project is organized by Biosphere Eng- uh, Expeditions. Uh, I think we need to work something out like that right here. Yeah. I mean, I, we've got a perfect wreck that needs archaeological work. And what we need is people to pay us to come out and sit on the bottom and suck sand. Well, actually, I think we'll... Have you been on scuba board lately? No. Uh-oh. There's a couple of articles this week. Actually, I saw it on Facebook that linked me back there. The guys were looking for divers who wanted to go uh, treasure hunt on the uh, East Coast. They gave the dates, and it's for you name it, basic. Sounds like a, a regular wreck that's got both artifacts, nautical gear, um, ship stuff. And they, they were looking for people for certain dates to go looking. And it's one of these, it sounds like uh, you pay me to go do my wreck for me. <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think we got an opportunity there. So let's say, uh, what, $2,500 for uh, three days of diving, and we'll get you on the wreck and let you suck sand? Well, I, you know, tell you what, I'll do it for 2500 is a little expensive. I mean, we could might be able to get away with that if we provided, you know, a beachfront motel in the Caribbean. Yeah, free drinks at night. Well, you know, well, we'd go broke if we did that with most divers. No, not <laughs> most divers. That would be about a day's worth. Yeah, <laughs> I I think we could get away with you know two hundred dollars a day, or do a weekend for a five hundred dollar package. Give them five tanks, boat ride, sleeping accommodations on the boat. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we well, could we'll, do that. We'll have to look at that. Maybe that's something. Uh, uh, to kind of get sidetracked again. Did anybody happen to make it up to the? Uh, uh, preserve meeting this last weekend. I did not. No, I had to take Randy over to the airport. Okay. So I was just wondering how, how that went. Maybe if they... I have, I have not seen the records or the minutes posted yet. Yep, I haven't talked to Peggy. I'll have to give her a call. Okay, that'd be cool. And then the chat room, if, if people, if you're not coming in the chat room, you are missing out. There's a lot on there. And Dave, gosh, he is just being tortured and he can't even see the chat room. Uh, yeah, uh, but he'll go back and look at it later. <laughs> he'll... He'll, he'll so I'm going to have to make some really good comments about Dave so he can find them when he comes back and looks at it later. <laughs> O'Toole must know him pretty good. I mean, uh, do I that? <laughs> yeah, our, our friend from uh, Australia is, uh, is, is having a little bit of fun there. So that was on the conservation. Let's see what else do we have up on the list. We have uh, so a little bit more on the conservation. They have kids help clean up on, on Cayman's Reefs. A little bit more pulling stuff off the bottom. Uh, youngsters have assisted in another reef cleanup on Lobster Pot Dive Center. The Hamilton High School Scuba Club is part of a, of the government's new extended after-school education program to get members more active. As part of a remit as an organization doing community work and helping in reef, reef, reef cleanup. This is our second one. We go out and see what we can find. We combine students and teachers from John Gray and Clifton Hunter. I am so jealous. You know, I when I was in school, there was we we didn't get go scuba diving and and I don't care if I'm cleaning up cigarette butts in the bottom. I mean, we didn't let Cayman Reef area either. No, we did not. So they they say all their BCDs and regulators for the club were founded by Jonah Clark Award. So we have our own kit to lend out to kids, which really helps. I've always been amazed how few go in the water, but this is a tiny island and a gorgeous sea, but very few even learn how to swim. We try and encourage what we can. 
diving on the island is a big career, and I don't know a single Cayman dive master or dive instructor. There's a lot of opportunities. So they're trying to encourage diving in that in their area. So an excellent way to do it. Okay, and this next one up is, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of interest in deep underwater diving or uh, uh, research. So this one is, they're asking if you've ever wondered what is the bottom of the Marinara Trench. Uh, for the first time ever, a new device let the public see what water is like on the sea's great depths uh, at 11 kilometers below the surface. Uh, we got to filter through all this. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Uh, coming from the chat room. Whale poop. Yeah. <laughs> well, six and a half miles is a good bit down there. And you can, I like his analogy that at that depth, it's like an elephant standing on your toe. Yeah. yeah. And I was looking at the picture of that, uh, which lo- almost looked like a crayfish or a weird looking shrimp. It almost looked like his whole interior is either jelly or water which you wouldn't make. I mean, if you had water inside and outside, you'd equal pressure. Nothing's going to rip apart. That's an interesting looking, whatever it is, Dominique something. Uh, Dominique uh, Barthelemy, maybe. Okay. Uh, We'll say that's what it is. I know I have seen pictures taken by the, uh, when they first went down there years and years ago uh, with with the bath sphere. Yep. And they did that first one. And some of those, again, some of the creatures look, you could not, Imagine those in your nightmares, and that's why when you start looking at some of the monsters and the aliens you get from the uh, the movies, just go down about six miles below, and you're going to see stuff just as weird looking. Yeah, and I, th- I think maybe it's appropriate now to go and share the video of the week, uh, which this one's from National Geographic. I'll paste that in the chat room as well. It's interesting they're doing that pressurized aquarium. That's neat. I've never heard of one of those. Well, you know that reminds me of is just a as like a chamber a chamber dive where they do the wet chambers. Yeah. Yeah, just it's a wet chamber for uh, shrimp. So, but a uh, interesting way to research. So I didn't know we had any chambers that would pressurize down to six and a half miles. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure it's not your everyday thing, but it's, I'm amazed at how I don't say how little pressure. But, you know, we're as scuba divers, we're used to, you know, 3,000 pounds in a tank. And uh, I'd have to do the math, but that's that would, if you did, if you had something, you know, like a creature inside that tank, what depth would that be simulating diving to? I mean, that, that would, I mean, it's certainly not going to be seven miles down, but it's going to be, you know, a lot deeper than we would think. Well, I think the, they caught a live fish at 2,300 meters. Uh, they said it didn't survive long after that, but that's quite a, Quite a bit. And they said it was a lionfish? No, a live fish. Oh, live fish. I caught a live one. Didn't survive long, but uh, I think they said they've simulated depth up to 1,000 meters. And then the video that we did, uh, this is called Cameron's First Dive Attempt in Over 50 Years, National Geographic Explorer and Residence Filmmaker James Cameron. Why does his name sound familiar? Uh, plans to soon dive in a specially designed submarine, a Mariner Trench in the Pacific Ocean, thirst deepest point. No human has attempted it since 1960. So uh, the video of the week is just uh, one that was put together by National Geographic, and it's uh, got some interesting tidbits on it. So uh, I think we're going to have an exciting year with some of this deep diving where we got this uh, race to the bottom. Okay, and then back up to... Diving for elephant fish eggs. Elephant what? 
Elephant okay. fish eggs. Now, is this something now, that, that you pl- some hairy crossbreeding? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, the University of Cambridge biologist Andrew Gillis studies the embryos of elephant fish, distant relatives of sharks, and they have long trunk-like snouts. But exactly how do you get an elephant fish embryo? You go diving with them. Uh, this article has a, a video where Gillis describes how he gets a fish embryos and what he finds inside their eggs. Uh, the particular picture he shows in the video is of an elephant fish embryo. Uh, elephant fish lives in deep waters off the coast of Australia, New Zealand, but migrates annually to shallow coastal bays to lay their eggs. A study of embryonic development of elephant fish by collecting their eggs by scuba divers in their egg-laying grounds. Uh, the fish embryo will live in their egg, feed off the yolk supply for 7 to 10 months before hatching as a completely self-sufficient juvenile. However, the embryos may be cultured outside their egg cases as seen here. This allows us to observe and photograph the development and growth of the unusual fish. So, I wonder what makes them call them the elephant. Well, I guess it was a snout. Do they only collect those elephant eggs, fish eggs, during Easter time? I'm not sure. You know, you go on an Easter egg hunt, maybe they go on an elephant egg hunt. Elephant egg, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, if elephants had to, like, sit on the eggs to you know, hatch them out, that wouldn't, that doesn't seem like that would work. Yeah, especially since the uh, fish egg that was showing is like 10 centimeters and a Petri dish, a little bit small. And from elephant eggs to starfish, a rare new starfish species has been found. A marine biologist diving near Peru's northern Pacific coast have found a species of starfish they did not know existed in the area. Among them was uh, Puala horida, a rare and brilliant species that lives in deep water. A uh, uh, marine biologist for Peru's National Park Service filmed the moment he found the starfish while scuba diving. All three of the species we found are starfish, but they are very different habitats. For example, Astropecian regalias from uh, Las Mangueles. I don't know which is tougher, the, the Latin names for the things or the names for the places. Uh, lives in very shallow water, eats very small organisms, likes worms and organic matter accumulates in the sand where they live. However, the researchers were most excited about finding Perilla horridia, the second species. It's a little-known species, probably because of deep-water starfish. We found it scuba diving at 35 meters, so at about 120 feet. Although we know it very well, we've never found found it in more shallow water. In this case, it feeds on coral we found on the rocks there, uh, characterized by an Tense red color and a large spines that mostly protect it from predators. Interesting looking, though, isn't it? Yeah, you know, a little bit different. That's not seeing them too often. And this next article, I, I I covered this one only because it's at a location I don't consider too often for diving. Uh, this one is a it's a little article. We won't read the whole thing, but it talks about somebody who's traveling. And uh, the scuba diving experience they had in Nicaragua. You know, I as a kid, all I can remember Nicaraguan is it was on the news every night talking about the Nicaraguan rebels uh, bombing or shooting or burning something. So, have you heard of diving down there, Mac? Actually, yes. Uh, There's a couple of people at work who have some land, but not in Nicaragua, but a little north of them, and. uh, at the time they bought theirs, which is maybe five, six years ago, they're all up in the mountains a little bit, but they said the seacoast out there is just great. 
and it's not a tourist place. Yeah. And it helps if you speak Spanish. <laughs> oh, yeah. They say there's not a whole lot of, of tourists there. But I guess a certain aspect that makes sense, and when you figure that yeah, how great a diving you have in Belize and in Costa Rica, you know, it just makes sense that it would be in Nicaragua. But just the bad publicity in tourism would make me think that uh, it would not be a spot that I would want to be diving in. Well, we've been there before when you got struck by lightning on a boat before. Oh, you got struck by lightning in a boat before? Oh, yeah. Was, was that in your commercial diving days? No, that was when we did a uh, charter out of uh, Michigan City. You go over towards the material service barge and a few of those. Uh, it was one of those they call freak storms they have out there where it would be flat calm. You can go up to a raging gale, 100-mile-an-hour winds in less than 15 minutes. But uh, we got out there. Last dive, we came up, and they were waiting for us. Like They just about wanted to cut the anchor rope because it looked nasty when we came up. And uh, we got hit by one bolt, took out our radios, and the people back in uh, Michigan City thought we'd sunk. Oh, my gosh. Because it was that lousy out there, and we wouldn't come back and talk to them on the radio. And uh, I think we have a picture of the head on mahogany <clears throat> pole off back with the flag, the American flag. That sucker got broken half with the waves coming on our back. Everybody decided to keep their suits on on the way back. Yeah. Not, not 15 minutes after we came up and went through all that crap, it's like, where'd everything go? So by the time we got to Michigan City, it's like, nice day. You know, that, but it, was, it was cool. Sir Larry was on that trip. There's a couple of the guy, the older guys was, was with us at that time. But it was exciting. Well, that would that sounds very exciting. Not, um, not necessarily one I'd want to be in. Well, when you survive, then it's fun. You know, you can talk yeah, well, it is. It's, it's, really? a, it's a good stories you have to tell, but at the moment that you're in them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah at the moment. Yeah, I've had a few of those where you, you don't take the wetsuit off because you're almost kind of wondering if you might end up in the water unintentionally. Yeah, that's always when you want to make sure that the highest point on the boat has got a real good ground underneath the boat into the water so it doesn't go through you. I don't think he made any money on that dive, on that trip. Plus his insurance covered all his radios and his compass and all that kind of crap. Yeah, I don't know how you recover that. You'd hope that you'd have some sort of insurance for it. Yeah. This next one I thought was interesting, and it's more of an article about the movie industry in Florida. But what got my attention was just some of the shows they were talking about that had been in this uh, movie studio, or at least studio location. And some one of them included Flipper yep. and Sea Hunt. Really? Yeah. Creature of the Black Lagoon, too, wasn't it? Yeah, they had Creature of the Black Lagoon. And uh, some of the people involved in the studio also did the James Bond movie. I'll be darned. Thunderball. Now, I'd be cool. <clears throat> yeah, so another excellent article. So, Greenwich I Studios. I snorkeled on a Bond wreck when I was in the Bahamas. It was the uh, Tears of Allah. How was the wreck? Um, pretty much intact. It was more like a, a yacht that they used for one of the scenes. It was interesting. It was in an area where they had a, uh, I want to call it a biosphere, but it was a, a, a like a huge dome of metal that they had put up with uh, like a skeleton framework that they used to catch, you know, attract fish. And then not far from that was this uh, wreck that was in about 20, 25 feet. I was snorkeling it, so I was lucky to just get down and touch it. Very cool, though. 
just amazing what they do on those green screen uh, green screen sets at a lot of the studios. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like what's real and what isn't. You have not got a clue. No, no, and that's that's one of the things that I'm I'm been secretly working on. I guess not so secretly now, is just uh, doing. They call that chroma key, and doing that. I'm I'm trying to make some virtual sets so that when we make the jump to video, we've got some uh, some interesting things we can do. Mm. Hey, I'd love to have that scene from uh, the deep with Jacqueline Bissett coming out of the wreck. I think we need to use that as a background. Hmm. You know, I'd like to go down there and find some of those amphiles they're finding and things like that. That'd be cool. I'd like to go down there and find Jacqueline Big Set. <laughs> you can have her nowadays. I think she's got pruned up a bit. That's okay. <laughs> what you do is just get you know some 3D glasses with a loop playing of uh, the movie. It'll just still help a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. That was an interesting movie. Yeah. So, and that, and that reminds me. I think what we'll have to do is we'll have to get something going on on Facebook and uh, having people recommend their favorite underwater movies and underwater shows. We still want to get that going. So. Uh, the Abyss. The Abyss. That was a great one. I love that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was very cool. I love The Abyss. And the Diet of Equipment Alone was worth watching it. Oh yeah. And then as for. We talked a little bit about some cameras. Here's another camera. It seems like this is a reoccurring theme with uh, cameras found underwater. With underwater cameras becoming more common when people lose them, uh, they're actually able to get some pictures back off them. So this one in particular, uh, somebody who was diving. Let me pull the article back up. One thing I did with my digital is I made sure that the first picture in it is a slide indicating my name, address, and phone number and reward for my camera disc. Yep. Because if you don't put I something like, like that, idea. how are they going to find it? That's yeah. a great maybe idea. Just, maybe if they keep the camera, but send me my disc back. Yeah. Mac, you are smarter than you look. <laughs> That's not hard. <laughs> well, as the camera goes, it was lost on a family trip. Uh, they it, they fell into the river at the barge in Pinsack. I uh, couldn't believe it. Not only did, uh, these, did Kevin find our camera, but they managed to track us down. What he did was quite amazing. We are delighted to get the photos back. He gave us happy memories of the holidays before we capsized. The couple was on holiday in France. Their daughters, Joanna, 15, and Cirrus, 12, in August last year. After visiting Paris, they traveled south on the Dorange, where they lost their 100-euro camera. Uh, it happened halfway through the second week of the holiday. We must have had 100 photos in the camera. Andrew drive to see if he could retrieve it, but he couldn't see anything because the water was a bit murky. We returned home a few days later, and we didn't think any more of it. Then out of the blue, we received an email from a guy who said he had found our camera. Kevin said, I was scuba diving with friends. I saw the shiny thing on the riverbed, grabbed it. The camera didn't work, but the card was okay. After I dried it out, I put it in my PC. I saw the pictures of the bike ride and found Andrew's name on Just Giving and saw the two photos next to him and the signs and put two and two together. I thought his family would be happy to have the photos back. So, excellent. Don't excellent. forget, you always tell them the camera doesn't work, but here's your disc. Yeah. <laughs> and we go from uh, recovered camera to recovering sailor's images. This one is from the monitor. I think we talked about the monitor last week, didn't we? Or the week before. Hadn't been too long. The week before. So, forensics reconstructions reveal faces of Civil War sailors. Uh, in, 19, in 1862, two ironclad warships uh, were blasting at each other over a silly battle of Hampton Roads. The vessel, neither vessel, could inflict much damage. The USS's, the Union's USS Monitor, and the Confederacy's CSS Virginia 
oper- opened a new era of uh, naval technology as armored warships. The Monitor, however, didn't have long to live. It sank in rough seas on December 18, I mean December 1862, and sat for more than a century. Uh, divers turned up the legendary ship off North Carolina now to mark the 150th year anniversary. They have, they're trying to bring the past back to life. They unveiled a 3D-dimensional reconstruction faces of two sailors found on board the wreckage of the Monitor. Uh, divers discovered the remains of the sailors in the gun turret in 2002, which excavated the ship in a joint operation. The U.S. Navy commissioned three-dimension reconstruction of the sailors' face in hopes of identifying them. Using... Precise replicas of the sailor's skull and hip bones, a team in Louisiana State University's face lab built clay likenesses, photographed their work, and digitally enhanced the images. The ultimate goal, which may not ever be reached, is to identify the men and try and locate their descendants. He said, we are dealing with a death of a century and a half, and a chance identifying these men and finding relatives is much diminished. But somebody might come forward and say he does have a broadwater nose or a smith chin. And if that's the case, we have DNA that can test the validity. It'd be more than we had hoped for, but something we really cherish. So it sounds like they've recovered the bones. And if they've got DNA, they must have kept some of the, uh, the body. So why is the government not burying it at sea or interning it appropriately? You know, I'm, I don't know on that stuff. I'm kind of... I uh, maybe I should be a little better about that, but the whole grave thing, I you know I'm I don't think we necessarily have to put the bodies back or whatever. Yeah, I just it just seems we seem to be selective. You know, this group we do it this way, and that group we do it another way, and I just don't quite get that. Yeah, we're not going to let anybody dive the monitor, but we're going to go. You know, recover some artifacts, uh, some bones, and keep them in. Yeah, a scientific study. Yeah. Well, here's an well, interesting fact that what's that? Same thing for the Indian relics. You can't do it, but the government and each freaking university sure can. All they got to do is say we're doing archaeology. Yeah. It makes it okay for them. Well, here's something that's a little bit interesting. I don't know if I mentioned to you guys, but I have a relative who was who served on the monitor. So I have. I'm going really? to have to. Yeah, really? I'm going to have. I'm going to have to get with my mom, who's been heavy on the archaeological kick again, but. You know, and I've known this for probably the last 15, 20 years that uh, he was on the monitor. And I don't know if he died on the monitor or lived. So I'll have to, I don't, I, I think he did live. So he's probably not two of these bodies in the turret. Uh, I think he was, uh, as the family story goes, he was a, a young man at the time. What's that, Matt? That would be neat. I did like the picture they got here of the turret they did take out with the cannons. Yeah. And uh, I didn't realize that uh, they had so many survive that sinking. 16 of the 62 died, so there's quite a few that made it. Yeah. But yeah. I, looking I, at that profile, you can see why she's not going to take a stormy sea. Yeah. I'm going to have to go and dig up because I think we've got pictures. We've got a picture of the relative standing on the deck where they took a picture of the whole crew. And I want to say he lived, but I'll, I'll, I'll have to double check that. But if he's one of them they recovered, I'm okay with them. We have to check his box. face with those two made up on the left-hand side of that picture. Yeah. See if you look like any of those two guys. You know, I, I was thinking about that as I was looking at the picture. I was going, is anybody in, uh, you know, I don't know. The one on the left kind of looks like Bill Clinton, doesn't he? Nah, he looks too good. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but uh, interesting, interesting. I'm I'm actually fascinated by by stuff like this. I would love to go dive on that. 
that's a neat picture of the of the turret. I didn't I I knew they were taking it apart, but I really didn't think of it being that large. That that is huge in there. But it, I mean, yeah, it's literally they put cannons in a turret. <laughs> well, you know, you want to see a cannon just like that? Where's that at? St. Joe Bluffs. Oh yeah, the ones the... on the bluffs. They got the cannonballs stacked, and they got the well, and it's and it's the same uh, make a cannon too. That's a Dahlgren bore yes. cannon on the yep. bluff, and that's what they had in the monitor. Right, and the cannonballs that are there, there were replicas, plastic or something. A long time ago, they actually had the real ones there until they moved them. But that's it looks just like those cannons there. Hey Darren, did you post that link in the web in the chat room yet? Uh, let me. If I didn't, I'll post it again. I thought I did, but here it comes. So yeah, everybody, uh, and we'll we'll have this in the show notes. And I'm a little bad last week. I spent so much time editing, I never got the show notes up. So we'll have a double batch of show notes this week. But uh, once you get a chance to head over to the show notes and review this, see if that uh, looks like a relative. You know, they're 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 wanting people to say, hey, that looks like so and so or such and such. So it'd be interesting. And uh, you know, it, I, it seems like with the way DNA is going, that you could be, you know. Who's to say? Well, I think uh, wasn't National Geographic or somebody was doing the the DNA project where you could get your DNA taken and put into a database, and they were trying to build this family tree. Uh, it was probably been a couple years now. I think the downside of it was how expensive it was for the DNA sequencing at the time. I think you had to pay like twelve hundred dollars or something. And uh, if 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 you look now, I think they've got DNA sequencing to down under uh, a couple hundred dollars. You know. It's hard to believe something that we spent a million, a billion dollars on doing the first time, and now it's almost becoming common. Hey, Jim. Yes. Just a side note, but uh, the bottom of the popcorn tub. Uh, I'm just going back to some of the notes. It's a good thing we don't have a lot of ladies online. Oh. <laughs> yeah, here, here we go. How much editing am I going to have to do? I was well, not my idea. I. I'm going to have to go back to this this one here and read over these notes. This is funny. Yeah, if people who aren't on this looking at the show notes, they're missing a hell of a lot. <laughs> now, if you, you say think show the conversation's notes, good, if you think the conversation's good, you ought to read what goes on in the chat room. Yeah, it is they, hilarious. This stuff stays in print for a long time. <laughs> oh, well, you're talking about the marketing material? That and the elephant. <clears throat> oh, gosh. The chat room is unbelievable. I appreciate the chat room. I love it. I I, I need to. It's. I, I wish I was better at multitasking because I just can't keep up with what they've got going on in there. You Squirrel. need three screens on your monitor. Well, I, I I have multiple screens, but there's just no way I can I can keep up. I can't I can't keep everything moving. So that does it for the news. We got one last thing that I wanted to cover. And Mac, thank you for sending this. Is uh on the potential potentially cool new gear front, we had Poseidon rebreather just uh, posted an announcement on their MKVI rebreather, which uh, I'm sure, is that Roman numerals? Should I be spelling out yeah, the... Mark 6. What Mark is it supposed six. to be? Mark 6. Mark 6, is that what that is? How do you get chem- MKVI as Mark? MK, is that Mark 6? Okay. I don't know. I would I would have never have, have come up with that on my own. Uh, so what, what they're doing is they're announcing that uh, they're executing their plan and that they have a firmware upgrade 48 that is now released for the general Poseidon rebreather community. The V48 is equipped with the latest uh, sensor calibration and validation logarithms, which will enhance the detection of erroneous sensor behavior for all MK uh, Mark 6 customers, regardless of ambient temperatures. 
It's very well worth mentioning that no other rebreather on the market has the achieved throughput through the patented O2 sensor calibration and validation routines. The new firmware is available for download on our support page. Their former upgrade gives customers who have purchased one of the decompression-enabled batteries access to the already implemented decompression module and explore its full capabilities. This means that the Mark VI is now ready for technical diving, explore the decompression upgrade functionality by browsing through the deco manual appendix. Together with the release of the firmware, we're excited to announce that a new version of the manual has been released. Finally, we're determined to succeed in the paradigm change to alter the focus of sports diving from open-circuit regulators to highly advanced electronic closed-circuit rebreathers, uh, including innovations will change the view of the diving is supposed to be forever. And this was the chief technology officer, Jonas Brandt, for Poseidon Diving Systems. But what I thought was really interesting, Mac, was how it was a, wasn't it a battery? It's like you had the blue battery and the yellow battery and you buy the upgrade and drop the different battery in and that upgraded your firmware. I mean, I just thought that was a very well-designed way of being able to implement an upgrade. It looked pretty efficient and it looked quite interesting. Yeah. So I I have no firsthand knowledge of it. I haven't done it. They're not a sponsor, but I, I think it's cool. I'm really excited about you know, that rebreathers are coming and that we might have a chance of, of getting them at someday. So that polishes off the news for this week. That brings us to our next section, which is talking about the dives that we did. I didn't get a chance to go diving. I'm sounding like a broken record. I, I'm noticing that my gear is starting to dry and powder up a little bit. But uh, you you got a, a dive in this last week, didn't you, Matt? Yep, I got out again. Uh Went back out to Pawpaw. I did. I did post it on the club site. But again, like I told, I said there it was a high noon dive. It was a very overcast, very windy the other day, and it was uh, windy yesterday. wasn't any crowds out there, so that was good. Not too many boaters. And anytime you got 60 degree weather, it's a good day to get wet. Meaning when I dried off, I didn't freeze my butt off. Well, that's uh, nice. The visibility was about five feet, and where I was looking, the weeds are down. And unlike when we dove the opposite side again. You can find junk anywhere you want to look. Had a good time. So it's just it's a so what we need to nickname one is the clean side and the trashy side. I could be. I don't know how you really want to publicize that. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you went to the treasure, you can see what I what I took home for change. Uh oh, I'm gonna have to take a quick peek over there. Oh, you didn't go? Well, I I saw the post. I very briefly. It's been another one of those weeks at work where I've just been buried getting stuff done. You mean you've actually had to work this week? Oh gosh, I'm trying. I'm I'm looking forward to my uh, spring break vacation. We're going to Florida, just so I I'm not working. So were they worth keeping? Let's see here. The photos just coming up. We'll paste that treasure link into the chat room so they can all drool. And when when we say muck diving, this is this is what we're talking. Oh man, both of those are amazing bottles. What is that one on the right? The one on the right is a embossed crown top, but do you see all the embossing on it? That is a very detailed embossing. Yes, it was. I was very pleased with that one. I like the decal at the top. It's it a looks not like for a, sale bottle. It, it, it looks, at first glance, it looks like a modern bottle. But I would say with the embossing, is it, yep. and it also it, looks like it, it's... Well, it's a crown top. That's what we would consider 1930s and up. Okay. That's a Chicago bottle. That must be an early crown top then. Obviously, that wouldn't be my show itself for this club meeting because I keep reminding Jim another he's going to bring that. that scuba another tank. Hutchie? You got you another got Hutchie. Another Hutchie. I still have yet to even find a Hutchie. 
you and me both. I, I find I, all the I, others, but I never find. I, I, I put sticks in the ground where I found these, and I put the broken crock pots by the sticks. Was that like? We're uh, talking seven foot of water. Is that like decoys for like ducks where you put them in the water and then the other ducks come? <laughs> no, but you can see where I found stuff. I found must have been a cache of uh, those old fashioned batteries with the terminal post on them. You should find a pile of 20 of those out there now. Oh, sounds like a dump area. It has to be. Just look at that. That's amazing. Cool, cool, excellent finds. Yeah, those are nice. So I was pleased. It was a good day. I started to go out today, but it was 31 degrees and 25 miles an hour wind, and I didn't want to take the ice shanty. Probably got blown away. Oh, yeah. You need to come up and just seen a little stub of a ice shanty there. Oh. So... Let's see. So that people say, why do I dive pawpaw all the time? That's why I dive pawpaw all the time. Well, yeah, you got to do it. But I dive pawpaw with you, and I'm not finding them like that. I need to get like a bottle rototiller or something. This would, this would be your year, I can tell it. Uh, it's got to be. It's got to be. Okay, so that was uh, last week's dives. So our, what's the plans? You said you tried to get some a dive in a day. Are you thinking about doing any diving this weekend? Oh, I will get a dive in a pawpaw. I know. I think, Jim, you said you guys were going to try to go to where now? We're looking to go over to Lake 16 Sunday afternoon or early around noontime. As uh, soon as uh, we can get Richard out of church, we're going to meet up and head over to Lake 16. We figure with the cold water, maybe we'll have some visibility. Now, is, is that is uh, Mac and uh, Kirk going for that one? I it's will open probably for anybody. I think Sweeney was interested in the Lake 16 also. Yeah. Him and I, Kirk. Yeah. Sweeney, um, Richard, myself, that's three that I know of. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm up for it. Sunday, I think I can do. Saturday, it, it would be a little tougher, but it wouldn't be completely out of the question. But Sunday, I think, is going to be doable. Well, let's get together been, and go. I went, back, I went back, looked at the river, but with the rain we had again last week, it sucks again. Mm-hmm. Now, did Bob get his new dive light yet? Not yet. I'm, I'm that I don't know. I, from him. I, I don't know. I think he's. this is his last dive he wanted to get in before he sent his dry suit out for repair. Yeah, well, I guess his boat he's got in the, in the shop, getting that ready. Right, and he's got an outage coming up, so by the time the outage is over, he'll have, have extra money to pay for everything, and he'll be ready to roll as soon as he gets out of that. There you go. Mm, and I, good. if you guys are looking for another boat to, to dive, if you haven't, I'd like to go up. I need somebody with a boat. And let's dive the Henry Court. That's up to, uh, toward Muskegon. Uh huh. That's a whale back. It's only in about 35, 40 feet of water. Really? Yeah. Let's Is that the it. one that was kind of near the pier that broke up? Yeah. Yeah. That that's uh, you got some good pictures from the Coast Guard rescuing people. But that boat actually sank once before, really early in its life. Got rammed later. So this, the time when it hit the piers and then actually sunk, that was the last time. Now, is it something you can see? Because I, I think the reason we haven't dove on that one before is because it's not, there sometimes a sand on it, so you can't see it. Uh, if you go to the MSRA site, uh, Valerie put some pictures she took, but that was 2009. And there's sufficient amount of steel that it will be worth it. I thought it might be a fun time to go up and just uh, do a scan on it get a good fix and then dive it ourselves hmm. it's a lot of history i mean you can say you dove a whale back most people can't say that yeah now yeah, it does sound like now that's grand haven i think that's up by muskegon i gotta re- i have to look to my log okay yeah we'll have to we'll have to take a look and see what else we got up there that we can dive because I, I know grand haven we have the iron sides that we usually do an annual trip to every year yeah, I was going through some of my stuff, 
of items I'd like to get done this year again, and that's one of them. Yeah, I'm always up for a, a new wreck that we haven't done. Plus, we've got a we're, we're going to be finding those wrecks this this year, so we need to get going on mowing the lawn. Yeah. Well, the boat's coming out of the shed in another week or two. Uh, weather's warm enough so I can start getting it squared away. So. Yeah. And I and I think Mr. Kleeman, he'll he'll have his ready to get going here real soon. You know, now that we're getting pretty much out of the the need for heavy duty winterizing. Yeah, I think yeah, we the, just got to get to the point where the overnights don't get below freezing. Yeah. And another month we'll be there, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we're we're, we're all, we got and see I think we're gonna miss our uh, early uh, dive record again this year. We're we're getting to the point where another week here and we'll have uh, gone past two years ago date. I thought we were really gonna get it early. I thought we were gonna get one in February. Well, the weekend weather has really sucked, and uh, you figure March we've had rain, snow, hail, sleet, tornadoes. Not here. Uh, warm weather, cold water, you name it, we've had it in March. Yeah, but I, I think this is going to be a warm water year. If anything, I'm a little nervous that we're going to have the water is going to get warm too quick, and then we're going to have crappy visibility because it's going to keep turning all summer. Well, I'm amazed at just how nasty and sandy it looks, uh, you know, close to shore this year. I don't remember it ever being, but then again, we've had ice on it before usually. But there was no ice this year, and it's just just really looks like it's total turn up, like uh, like it did after the September and October storms. I yeah, I just think it. You know, when you have the ice, it kind of locks everything in place. But what we don't have is uh, seems like we get the sand builds up on the ice, and then when it melts, it builds these sandbars. So it'll be interesting to see what it does to the bottom this year. That's different. Yeah. I can't wait to get back out on your rec, Mac, and see what that, that looks like, see how much movement there's been there. Yeah. You, you guys haven't done it before, but just diving off a grand mirror uh, out about 20 feet, you might find some interesting bottom items out there, not necessarily wrecks, but uh, I'm still looking for that, that one little sort of like highway I found that one year. Yeah. You guys ever remember the pictures I showed you where it looked like it had a, an earthquake because part of it just shifted? Mm-hmm. Down six, eight inches. I'd like to find that again and do some video of that one. That, well, that was interesting. That'd be very cool. Oh, we got wolves coming up too. Yeah, when, that's when's right. that? That's next weekend, the thirteenth. Thirteenth. So we'll have. No, no, seventeenth. Oh, oh, yeah, 17th. it's next weekend. Yeah, so we'll have that coming up. That's have you guys been in the dive shop down there lately? Uh, I haven't been in quite a while. They've actually cleaned it up, got some things in order, got rid of stuff, opened it up a little bit. Uh, he's trying to do a lot of stuff. I know Bob will be back uh, the day or two before the – yep, yeah, he'll probably be back the 16th. So Bob will be back by then. Excellent. So we're, we're it's, it's like we're getting the signs of summer, or spring at least, Yeah. coming. All the early signs. In the chat room, they're kind of surprised. They said, did we just hear that Wolf's has been cleaned up? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we we hit we did it. Make sure you you go over to our Facebook page. Give us a like if you like the the show. We are now at 250 Facebook fans. We appreciate that, and we'll hopefully get some conversations going over there. I'd like to know what your favorite uh, scuba movies, dive shows, scuba related uh, videos that you have that you've watched. And uh, post them up there, and we'll get some conversations going. You can follow us on Twitter, at Scuba Obsessed. 
Uh, also, uh, go over and give us five-star reviews on iTunes if we could. We love to have those. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to put your push pin in the map, you can go to scubaobsessed.com about scuba obsessed fans and you'll be able to navigate the map and see it. Now we, we get a few people every week adding their push pins to the map. So we, we certainly appreciate it. Now, Mac, did your daughter ever have found anybody from Samoa yet? Uh, she's not got a, a little acknowledgement from Samoa yet. I did contact uh, a dive group out of Samoa and asked them if they would please do that, but uh, uh, they have not done so at this point. I, I was listening to uh, another podcast this last week on an unrelated subject, a, a movie podcast, and they were mentioning that in Salt Lake City, Utah, there's a large Samoan uh, contingent. Yeah, contingent people who have that's where they've migrated, immigrated to in the continental U.S. is in Salt Lake City. So if you know anybody in Salt Lake City, maybe they could. You know, that's a, another way of getting connection. Because I kind of picture it being kind of like Cuba or something, where you you end up having more people outside the country than within it. I'd have to Seems think the same way. thing with Samoa. Yeah. Samoa, and then also I think they said Tonga. Those are two very heavily represented in Utah. Wow. Which is which should not be my first guess. Ditto. Hey, Darren John's in Salt Lake City. Yeah, John in the chat room's from Salt Lake City. He's Samoan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we should ask. Do you realize that we have got sidetracked sufficiently that we're already an hour and 20 minutes? Oh, uh, I, I'm sure that this is just a light sidetracking. We can do better. <laughs> we probably have and probably will. Yes, we have done. I can remember three-hour nights not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, he, John is verifying. He says, yes, they are. He said that uh, the church there in Salt Lake City uh, had encouraged quite a few of them to come in so uh, there's another angle so eventually we'll get we'll, we'll we'll get your daughters that uh link from samoa somehow is it about that time yet yeah i think it's about that time uh, I lynch can... if you haven't gone hang on lynch we're losing lynch so hopefully He's... he'll he'll hang on and, and catch this because it's, <laughs> it's it's about that time it's about that time so which one which one should we do let me see. I've got the well. I, I need to make like a little spinner application that will just kind of go and sort them. I'm, I, I need to build them up. So if you have any scuba jokes that you've come across, go ahead and send them our way. You can do it at the show at scubaobsessed.com, and we'll add them to the list. We like to get them properly aged. This this one actually has been brewing for a while, uh, and and I think it qualifies. I don't think it's really all that good. You mean festering or brewing? I, I'm sorry. Uh, festering, brewing. You know, maybe we brew, then let it fester, then ferment, and then brew again. Kind of like sauerkraut gone bad. Kimchi, kimchi. Kimchi. <laughs> okay, so you guys ready? If we have to be. Yeah, I don't think we got much of a choice. So here we go. A man, Bob, and his hardcore scuba diving friend, Joe, went out hunting. This was Joe's first time ever hunting, so he followed Bob's lead. Bob saw a small herd of deer and told Joe to stay in the exact spot he was and to be quiet. After a few minutes, Bob heard a loud scream. He ran back and asked Joe what had happened. Joe said, there was a snake and he slithered across my feet, but I never screamed. Then there was this bear and he came up to me and snarled, but I never screamed. So what did make you scream? Bob asked, exasperated. Well, Joe continued, two squirrels crawled up my pant legs and I overheard him say, should we take them home or eat them here? Huh. <laughs>
Okay. <laughs> Lynch, if you hung around for that, it wasn't worth it, was it? <laughs> I still thought it was good. Uh, so we'll skim the top of the, the the bad joke barrel off, and they'll bring the next one to the surface. A little bit of skin, skin start to form. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe, guys. And remember, no elephant fish were harmed in the making of this show. Recording has been completed.